It's time for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Here's your host, Mr. Wonderful. Well, hello and welcome in again to another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show. I am Mr. Wonderful. Happy you could be joining uh, us here as we get ready for another week. A lot has happened in the entertainment world since the last time we spoke. Things happening with The Matrix 4. Shang-Chi has been released. I actually got a chance to see that. So I'll do the review for that in just a moment. But uh, hopefully things are going good in your neck of the woods, wherever you are right now. No, we're coming off of the Labor Day weekend. So hopefully you got to enjoy a three-day holiday. Some cookouts, some time with friends and family and all of that before uh, school officially begins, maybe in your neck of the woods. Uh, I know where I'm from, school has been in session uh, a couple weeks now. Actually started back up around my birthday, August, at about the time that this show relaunched, rebooted, uh, restarted, whatever you want to call it, because I know I got a little bit of flack from uh, Brooke, who I do another podcast with, Haunter's Podcast, which you can check that show out if you're a fan of Halloween Horror Nights, uh, Bush Gardens, Hollow Scream, any type of uh, haunted attractions, I should say as spooky season is officially here. Uh, She was busting my chops about that show on the last episode we did for that uh, because I, you know, mentioned it back in the beginning. If you don't know, now you know. I did the Mr. Wonderful show about seven years ago when I first was trying to prove my worth when it came to radio and show people that I could host a show, do a thing, all that good stuff. Uh, And she was joking that the show probably wouldn't last, but hey, Here we are, and uh, now we're into episode number four of this amazing rebooted, relaunched, restarted, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to call it a reboot. I don't want to call it a sequel. I don't want to call it a remake. I don't want to call it any of that. It's just its own thing. Start it back up again. It's not a part of any secret league of podcasters society. Nothing like that. But yes, hopefully you had a great Labor Day weekend. Uh, I know there are a lot of things that people... Love to do for Labor Day. In fact, some of the top things uh, people love for Labor Day is actually getting out and grilling. Uh, and people got out and definitely grilled this past Labor Day weekend. I know I saw some some people sharing the hot dogs, the hamburgers, the chicken on the grill, uh, the parties with the family. So hopefully you got a chance to enjoy that, celebrate uh, a little labor, a little, little, little honoring of the fact that back in 1882, Uh, A Labor Day parade took place in New York where people were marching for fair working conditions because back then factory workers put in 60-hour weeks, made 75 cents a day. That's about $20 in today's money. But they wanted that fair, equal, uh, just just to be treated like individuals, like humans, and not have to work 60-hour weeks. So that's what Labor Day was. Hopefully you also didn't post one of those like, remember the military people that made this day possible because... That's that's just not what Labor Day is. I love that you do it. Love the military. They always deserve to be recognized and honored, but uh, Labor Day wasn't the day to do that. Thankfully, I didn't see anybody on my timeline do that, thankfully. Uh, but yes, I, I did get to do a lot over Labor Day. I uh, got to see Shang-Chi, as I mentioned. Uh, we will dive heavily into that. actually going to review that for you in just a moment. But I also got to watch the Cinderella movie that is on Amazon prime video and want to jump into the review of that right now because i gotta say it wasn't that good of a movie 
I wasn't a big fan of it. They did some cool things with it, but unfortunately, this is one of those movies where, and I think my feeling on this stems from the idea that I didn't understand why they needed to retell this story or what the purpose was of rebooting, remaking, redoing this story. Uh, Some of the things that they did made sense. They started to kind of explore some cool ideas, which made it seem like, oh, this is why they were doing this. But then they never really further went into those reasons. Uh, I know at one point it was very uh, self-aware of, of, I don't want to call it woke, but being more modernized, more up to date uh, as far as female characters go, as far as certain characters go. But, But again, it was more of like on the surface they made these changes, but never explored them which I felt hindered the movie, uh, especially for a movie that runs uh, about two hours long. It, it, it can really feel like it at times because, again, they're setting up some great ideas, but then they're not really following through with them. So uh, I, I really struggled with this movie, but another reason I think I struggled with this, uh, and it's not because of the performances and things like that. I actually think uh, Camilla Cabello for a debut performance in a featured film, does a really good job. I think she does better than Madonna does in most of her stuff. Uh, I know I got some flack when I said that. Uh, Review It Rob came at me and was like, yo, I love Madonna in A League of Their Own. Yeah, well, Madonna's playing Madonna in A League of Their Own. Not a hard stretch for her. So when Madonna has to play actual characters, it's a stretch. So for Camilla Cabello to come in, play the, 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 the princess, play Cinderella, I thought she did a really solid job, but there were some moments, though, again, this the movie is very cheesy at times, so there were some really cheese moments as far as her acting goes, and even as far as Pierce Brosnan goes. Uh, I did like, little spoiler to it, I do like the fact that the movie, while it's a musical tends to steer clear of letting Pierce Brosnan sing. And then at one point he does sing. And it seems that they are very aware of how we felt with Mamma Mia. And they play into the fact that Pierce Brosnan did not deserve to be in Mamma Mia because he cannot sing. So I don't know if that was intentional or not. But that was one moment of the movie I really did kind of get a a kick out of and, and even turned to my girlfriend and was like, Oh my goodness, they are full-blown cheesily leaning into the fact that Pierce Brosnan, James Bond, should not be in musicals. And again, I hope that was intentional. Otherwise, man, oh man, it just further kind of elaborates why I felt this movie was a little unnecessary. But again, uh, I, I do also feel that part of my take on this is unnecessary Uh, isn't fair because I think if you are of a certain generation, of a certain age, this movie's going to click with you. This movie's going to do very well. I I know certain audiences of that age demographic that it seems it was intended for have taken to it, which got me thinking, what is your Cinderella movie? Because obviously a lot of of the new generation, the younger generation, probably going to be thinking Camilla Cabello is my Cinderella. But then there are people around my age who think Brandy is their Cinderella from the Brandy version that's on Disney Plus, I believe, right now that also has Whitney Houston in it. 
Uh, so there are people that I know think that. I instantly thought of Hillary Duff and Chad Michael Murray with the Cinderella story. So it kind of got me thinking of, okay, while I didn't think there was a need for this movie because it just kind of on the surface retells the story, throws out some ideas, but doesn't really further any of them, didn't really work for me. But again, it works for other for, for, for a different group of people. So maybe it comes down to how you view Cinderella or what your version of it is. When did you see this story where it really clicked for you, where it really hit, where it really worked? Uh, so, you know, if you're of a certain age group about my age, so if you're in your 30s, to late 30s, maybe early 40s, hey, maybe you're older than that listening, in which case, thank you for being a part of the show. I don't know if this is for you, but if you're still in your 20s, because that's the thing, my girlfriend, she's still in her 20s, she's in her late 20s, she loved it. She was totally into it, full-blown enjoying the cheese, loved the songs, the songs, and that's another thing, they kind of, they didn't write original music, they just took other songs and redid it. At one point, the White Stripes were used, which really threw me off. They sang a Madonna song, bringing her back around for a second. They did sing a Madonna song. I thought they did a good job with that, but the White Stripes one seemed so out of place to me because it didn't make sense to what was happening. And then they just started singing White Stripes, and I was like, I, I think this is just because that was a popular song. And people like me who are watching this are going to be like, oh, yeah, the White Stripes. I can dig it. When truth of the matter was, I was like, eh, cool, White Stripes. But why? This song doesn't with what's happening. Huh? So that's kind of where my takeaway is on it. But yeah, again, if you are of a younger generation, of a younger age group, this could be the Cinderella movie for you. Uh, But yeah, at times for me, it did feel like I was struggling to get through it. Uh, definitely wasn't my favorite version of Cinderella of that story being told, but I do think the costumes were gorgeous. I think Camilla did a really good job. There, there, there's a future there for her if she wants to jump into the acting side of things. Uh, maybe not as good as Selena Gomez, but also, to be fair, Selena Gomez. To be fair, Selena Gomez was an actress before really kind of moving on to the musical side of things with the. Wizards of Waverly Place and stuff like that. So that's my take on Cinderella. It's not my cup of tea, that's for sure, but maybe it's yours. In which case, I salute you for that. Uh, Also got a chance to see Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which had a huge weekend. Uh, But man, what a movie Shang-Chi was. I went into this film... I don't know, man. I I think coming into this next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm very uncertain of what to expect. Uh, You know, like the phase one, phase two, phase three stuff, they had a lot of the characters that I know. Like I know the Captain America story stuff. Uh, I was aware of Iron Man stuff before they started doing that. Uh, You know, really the only thing that I wasn't aware of in that first three phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe were things like Doctor Strange, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, stuff like that I never really read the comics of. But when Spider-Man got pulled in, I was like, oh man, I know the Spider-Man comics. I've read those. I I know what's going on with that. So 
they had a lot of characters that I was aware of, which gave me a vested interest before those characters that I was unaware of, because I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 is still the best. Hands down, in my Marvel movie rankings, that is still the cream of the crop. It, it, it that, that cream rose all the way to the top, baby, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 is my all-time favorite of any of the Marvel films so far. Um, but yeah, I, I've been very uncertain of where this next phase, where Phase 4 is going. Once uh, Endgame came out, uh, I, I, I very much have been open about it, where I don't know about the Eternals. I don't really know about Shang-Chi. I don't really know these types of things. So I'm entering these movies really on a blank slate. And I think that played very well into why I dug this movie so much. I, I think they did a fabulous job with this film. I think it does a great job at introducing us to this character, what he's all about. Uh, and I loved Aquafina in this movie as well. Uh, I think she was a wonderful sidekick. Uh, I really dug this movie. I, I, they brought back a character as well from Iron Man 3 that when he popped up, I was so giddy, bouncing in my seat, so excited. I couldn't believe that. that, that I, I don't know why I couldn't believe it was there because that's one of the joys of these Marvel films. But it was more like, holy crap, I can't believe that he agreed to come back and he did come back and, and this this character gets to be this character again in all of his goofiness, all of his wild, excuse me, all of his wildness, all of his everything. So I really dug that. But yeah, I think, and here's the other thing too. While it is the second Marvel film to be released since Endgame, it's also the first one that didn't have Outside of this one character popping back up, it really didn't bank the way Black Widow did. Like, Black Widow was released, and it's like, well, you know Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. You've had, like, 20 films with her out of the 500 we've made, so you know this character. You're going to come out and see it. This was them, again, taking a swing and taking a risk, in, in my opinion, by introducing a character that yeah, there's an audience. There, there's, there's definitely an audience for this. There's a reason this character has existed in comic book fashion and form before being adapted for the big screen. But are people going to show up? And yeah, people did show up. And, and, and everybody has been super happy to go out and check it out. I know it's got one of the highest, uh, it does have the highest audience score out of any of the Marvel films that includes any of the Iron Mans, any of the Captain Americas, the Avengers films, the Spider-Man movies, so on. So it, it did its job. It did it wonderfully. I am so excited for another adventure with Shang-Chi. Uh, I'm so ready for more of these. Uh, and actually, with how good and how much I enjoyed this movie, I really am more excited now for The Eternals, which has still kind of been a film that I'm like, when it comes, I'm going to see it, but, you know, there's not really an excitement. It's not like Spider-Man. It's not like Doctor Strange 2. And that's a, and that's another testament to the Marvel. I mentioned Doctor Strange I wasn't familiar with heading into that first film. But since that first film, I've been super excited for Doctor Strange 2. And then the closer we get to it, all the news and everything that's gone on with it, 
knowing that it's going to deal with the multiverse of madness, knowing that Sam Raimi, a director of one of my favorite horror movies and franchises and the evil dead, the guy that brought us Spider-Man, that, that trilogy to the big screen. And, and really also I would even say with those Spider-Man movies brought a level of prestige. Don't want to say there wasn't prestige to comic book stuff, but they were, they were kind of looked at side eye wise when they got released. Like, yes, the blades made money. Yes. You had spawn. Yes. You had, comic book movies coming out, but there was something about when Spider-Man came out that did start to change the game on the way that these films were looked at. And I will say that the Marvel films have done a better job at incorporating, uh, really Batman, I think. The Dark Knight trilogy, I think, did it best. And it was all right around that time because you had the Spider-Man movie come out and you had like Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3 and all of that. And then the Dark Knight trilogy started, but you could see the changing tides coming in the Spider-Man movies And then the Dark Knight did what I think the Marvel films have done a really good job at. And Shang-Chi addressed this as well. And that's, you can tell a comic book story by also pulling elements from other things. So you can tell a martial arts film in a comic book movie. You can tell a story about appropriation in a comic book movie. You can tell a story about espionage in a comic book movie. You can do these things with these characters, which you started to see in the Dark Knight trilogy. I mean, I, I will always look at, at 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 the second film in that in that trilogy, the Dark Knight, with what happened with with when Christian Bale's Batman uses everybody's phones against them. That literally was our world at the time, and people forget that, and that is the world we still live in. At that time that that movie came out, we were learning about NSA wiretaps. We were learning that our government was using our phones against us. We were learning that we were being spied on. And then Batman goes and throws that into its movie to where you're watching it and you're like, yeah, I'm watching Bruce Wayne. I'm watching this billionaire fight the Joker. But damn, he's using government spying techniques in order to find the Joker and raising the moral question of how far is protection, how far do we allow these people protecting us to go? So I love that the Marvel films have have been able to grasp that, been able to take that, and I love that these Marvel films have really brought a, a form of prestige to the genre, but it's been there for a while. So yeah, I'm excited for Doctor Strange 2, uh, but Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings, definitely worth going out to see. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, I'm, I'm trying my best not to spoil things, but definitely run out and see it. Uh, And speaking of Shang-Chi, that actually brings us into our first news story of the day uh, because that film now holds the box office record for the largest Labor Day four-day weekend, opened with $90 million. That nearly triples the previous record, uh, Labor Day record held by Rob Zombie's Halloween, which had only earned $30.6 million in 2007. Now, to be fair... Uh, this was going to be broken. The minute we saw Shang-Chi was coming out Labor Day weekend, it was obvious that the first day they were going to beat the Rob Zombie Labor Day record because Labor Day weekend usually doesn't see a big film get released. It's it's a tough holiday to make money at the box office. It's, as I mentioned at the start, many people getting together with family and friends, many people taking vacations. 
movies are the last thing on people's minds for Labor Day weekend. Unless you're listening to the show, then chances are you're like me and you're like, <laughs> movies never rest even on the holidays. I don't know why I sounded like John Lovitz there, but movies. I'm the critic. It stinks. But Shang-Chi opened on Labor Day weekend, which bums Rob Zombie out of the number one Labor Day record spot. But listen, 14 years at the top, pretty damn impressive. Pretty damn impressive. That means for 14 years, Hollywood failed to drop a movie on Labor Day weekend that got audiences as excited as a Halloween reboot, remake, reimagining, reboot imagining thing. I don't know what to call that because it is totally different, but it also at times feels like a remake. Uh, but Shang-Chi's three-day total was $75.5 million which does make it the second biggest theatrical debut for 2021. That falls right behind a film I mentioned not too long ago, Black Widow, which had pulled in 80.3 million. Now it is worth mentioning as well that unlike Black Widow, Shang-Chi has the exclusive 45-day theatrical release. So it was not available on Disney Plus premium access the way Black Widow was. You're going to have to wait for that. Uh, but star Sa- uh, Samu Lee, uh, very excited, obviously. The first Asian superhero, uh, the first Asian superhero movie as well. A- and I think Marvel has proven once again that when they drop a movie, it's it's going to succeed, man. It's going to bring some box office success. It's going to be good times for all. Uh, and we're always interested. We're not afraid. Comic book fans are not afraid to go and support something we're unfamiliar with. And uh, as I mentioned in my review of it uh, just a second ago, uh, I really do think that this is a great movie, a fun movie, uh, and a movie worth going out and seeing, and especially seeing on the big screen for sure. So uh, Shang-Chi holds the record. Now, a movie I'm very excited for that's going to be coming out December 22nd uh, is The Matrix 4. And we just got to see some teaser footage. Uh, they actually dropped an interactive fan site called whatisthematrix.com. And if you go to that site, you can uh, pick between the infamous red or blue pills. And depending on the time of the day and which pill you pick and all that good stuff, uh, you'll get some clips, you'll get some stuff, you'll get to see some things from the movie uh, they they say that they have more than 180,000 video variations for people to see. So it's not like you're going to be seeing everybody seeing the same thing. Literally, I could go there right now and you could go there right now. And we could both see something totally different, which I think is pretty damn cool. A uh, really smart way to uh, promote this film and, and to promote the fact that they will be dropping the first trailer tomorrow. So if you're listening to this on the day it on the day I released this episode, Wednesday, September 8th, uh, on September 9th, the first official trailer for The Matrix 4 will be dropped. And I imagine this is going to be the trailer that was shown at CinemaCon, I believe is what it's called, when all the cinema theaters get together in Vegas and the movie studios come and they play them and they show them all the stuff that they have for the upcoming theatrical year. So I, 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 I expect it's going to be that trailer. And if it's that trailer, that means we're also going to get to see Neil Patrick Harris, his first look. Uh, we'll see uh, Carrie Ann Moss back. We'll see Jada Pinkett Smith back as well. 
as uh, both of them are returning as their respective characters from the original trilogy. But yeah, we I, I know you hopefully you got a chance to see the images of Neo. So our first look at Keanu Reeves as Neo yet again. Uh, but I am so stoked on The Matrix 4. I really remember seeing the original Matrix in theaters. I remember how uninterested I was in that original movie. I was so uninterested. My friends really wanted to see it. I went with them. I had no interest. And by the time that movie wrapped up, I couldn't stop talking about how cool that movie was, how excited I was for the next two. Granted, that excitement ended up being fizzled out a little bit, but it doesn't mean I'm not excited for the fourth one. I'm not excited for a new one. And uh, I know Christina Ricci brought it up when I was at AwesomeCon. She was asked about it, uh, and she didn't really reveal a lot. All she revealed was, yeah, I'm in it. So I'm excited to hopefully get a chance to see what she's doing in the film as well. But The Matrix 4, getting our first trailer on September the 9th. So definitely something to keep an eye out for uh, on the internet. Also, this is kind of cool. Morgan Freeman, uh, he's got a new movie that he's going to be doing along with Al Pacino, Helen Mirren, and Danny DeVito. Yes, that is a cast of casts, uh, and this is actually going to be a murder mystery that takes place at a retirement community called Sniff. Now, there's not a lot of details about it, uh, except for the logline for the project reads, when two residents die under suspicious circumstances, retired detective Joe Mulray Freeman pulled back into the action by his former partner, William Keyes DeVito, as they uncover a hidden world of six drugs and murder in the high-end luxury retirement community controlled by Kingpin Harvey Stride, played by Pacino, and his femme fatale enforcer, the spider, the dame, Helen Mirren. Uh, that's a cast, man. That's a cool concept. This could be really funny, really good. Uh, I mean... Come on. I never, I, I, I didn't realize how much I needed those four in a movie together until I, until this news dropped to see Morgan Freeman, Al Pacino, Helen Mirren, and Danny DeVito starring in a movie called Sniff. So yeah, definitely uh, excited for that one to be coming out in the near future. Also, gotta circle back to, to this. Uh, since last week, since we spoke, uh, the action comedy film Red Notice going to be hitting Netflix November and we actually got to see a first look trailer with Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot and The Rock and I gotta say it looked pretty funny uh, another one of those speaking of actors getting together in a movie what it could be what to expect things like that uh, that's one that I had been excited for and after seeing the first look trailer definitely stoked on that I know Gal Gadot actually it appears is playing the main villain of the movie. Now, Ryan Reynolds isn't playing a nice guy, but Ryan Reynolds is going to be teamed up with The Rock. And The Rock is obviously playing The Rock, which means he's playing a big, bulky agent of types, Marshall, whatever, some type of cop that's on the hunt to take down Reynolds and Gadot and ends up having to team up with Ryan Reynolds as they try to take out Gail Gadot. So I'm definitely into this. Looks fun. It's going to be on Netflix again this November. So uh, that's something. We're checking out. And since we're on the Wonder Woman topic, well, 
we're on Gail Gadot, who is Wonder Woman. Uh, Patty Jenkins, I guess, decided to revisit this old argument. Uh, the Wonder Woman director, Wonder Woman, the first film, and Wonder Woman 84. Um, she came out and actually talked about theatrical and streaming releases, uh, noting that it was a pandemic thing, obviously, but saying that she never wants to have to do that again because when movies go to TV first, they don't seem real. Her exact quote was, all of the films that streaming services are putting out, I'm sorry, they look like fake movies to me. I don't hear about them. I don't read about them. It's not working as a model for establishing legendary greatness. Now, she isn't against TV or streaming. She's even working on a series for TNT, but when it comes to movies, she feels that they need to be in theaters at least the first time. Uh, and she, again, continued on saying she makes movies for the big screen. She's okay with people watching it for a second or third time on their phone, but not making it for that experience. To, again, I just, I don't know why she felt the need to jump back into this and bring this conversation back up. But since she did, I feel it's worth noting that I don't care. I think James Gunn did say it best in the sense of his favorite movie is Jaws. And he has still never seen Jaws on the big screen. It didn't change his opinion of the film. Great films are great films. Films need to be seeked out however they can be seeked out. That to me is the point of making a movie. You make a movie for eyes to see it. Yes, going to see it. I mean, listen, I was talking about when I talked about Shang-Chi at the start of the episode. I said, I think this is a movie that you should see on the big screen. 100% believe you should see that on the big screen. But also, I do recognize that not everybody can go see it on the big screen. And yes, everything is still a little weird with the pandemic because we are still in the middle of that. And, and, you know, I know HBO Max and Time Warner said that their day and date release thing isn't going to be happening next year. But I don't think any movie that goes straight, like, that's saying the straight to video movies of the 80s and 90s and 70s, those movies don't count. They're, they're not movies. They're just, they're just made for video. This and that. Like, what, do, what do you think, Patty? Those are like, they're literally released as home video movies, movies released to watch on the cassette at home. Like, do they not count? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I like, I get a part of where she's coming from, but I also don't believe it's the end all be all like Wonder Woman 84 being released at home as well as in theaters doesn't make Wonder Woman 84 less of a movie. The Cinderella movie being released on Amazon Prime Video doesn't make it less of a movie. It's still a movie. It's still getting eyes on it. And I think she's a little right. Like, I I think she's a little wrong, but she is right in the sense of you don't hear a lot about these movies, which has been an argument of mine in the past of, especially with like a Netflix. Netflix will produce something, make something, and then you'll hear about it for a week and then it drops, and you never hear about it again. And she's right on that. That is 100% true. You'll hear about them for a hot minute, and then they're gone. Unlike a movie that lingers around in theaters. They're like, listen, we're still talking about Jungle Cruise because Jungle Cruise is still lingering around in theaters. We're still talking about Free Guy. It's still sticking around. 
other movies that have dropped. Like you're not going to hear much about Cinderella after this podcast. Like by the time you finish listening to this podcast, Cinderella is done. Amazon Prime Video has moved on from that, and they're focusing on their next one. Think about when they dropped the Val Kilmer documentary, which I still haven't seen. That got a short window in theaters and then dropped on Prime Video, and we haven't heard about it since. Until probably right now. You're like, oh yeah, that Val Kilmer documentary is on Amazon Prime Video. I should probably go seek that out. So I get where she's coming from on that. But again, I don't... I I think it's misguided to say that these are not real movies. Because real movies don't need to have a $100 million budget. Real movies are just movies. They're made for viewing eyes. However you can see them, see them. And that's how I've always kind of... And and I think when James Gunn made the comment about Jaws, it, it really resonated with me. Because for a while, I would have been with Patty Jenkins on this. If it's not released in theaters, it doesn't count. At least on first run, that is. But now that I've heard the James Gunn argument, I'm like, yeah, well, when I think back about it, some of my favorite movies that I still love to this day are films that I've either never seen on the big screen or I'm getting a chance to see them now. Like, I got to see Jaws on a drive-in movie screen, which was awesome. But for 31 years, I believe, 32 years, I forgot, it was was 32 years. For 32 years, I had never seen Jaws on any form of a big screen. Never. And it's one of my favorite all-time movies. So I think that's why when James Gunn made that comment, it stuck out to me because I was like, oh, I love Jaws as well. And you're right. I didn't see it until the pandemic year where, yeah, I think it was like, I was 32 at the time, going on 33 at the time, because uh, it was like two months before my 33rd birthday. But at the time, I hadn't seen Jaws on a big screen anywhere. Luckily, I've gotten the chance to see that. Luckily, I've gotten a chance to see a film like Gremlins on the big screen as well. But Ghostbusters, for the longest time, I never got a chance to see Ghostbusters on the big screen until about three years ago. But Ghostbusters is one of my all-time favorite movies. So I I don't know I, I don't know what compelled Patty Jenkins to bring it back up to make this maybe maybe she heard the James Gunn thing and was like well no James you're wrong but she she brought it back up it happened again uh, and yeah at the end of the day I don't really believe that a film isn't a film just because it doesn't get a theatrical release uh, but talking about some more films uh, this is a little wild. A copy of the Top Gun sequel. Now, okay, I'm going to have to hold up for a second. Scratch it. Reverse it back. So Tom Cruise, last month, his car was stolen over in England while he was filming Mission Impossible. Now, the car was recovered, but a lot of Tom's personal belongings were still missing. He was furious about this, but it happened when he was filming a scene. We have now learned that there was a copy of the Top Gun sequel in the car that was stolen, but thankfully, it was recovered in the car, but there is no evidence that the people who stole Tom Cruise's car at the time didn't possibly make a sequel of it or make a copy of it. So there's this lingering belief that there is possibly a copy of the Top Gun sequel somewhere out there that could end up leaked online. Now, fingers crossed it isn't, because 
I'm about to say something very unpopular here in a second, but bear with me. I'm not a huge Top Gun fan. I get it. I understand why people love it. Not my favorite, though, of the Tom Cruise movies from the 80s. I've seen it once. I'm good. I've never revisited Top Gun since then. I'm okay. I get it. But again, I get again, I get why everybody loves it. I get why there's a huge following for it. All of that. No issues with that. But I am going to go see the sequel because I've seen the original and I don't want this to get leaked online because it's Rob said it with the uh, review at Rob, good friend of the show. He's got his own uh, podcast. So if you like this, you'll love what Rob does. It's a lot better than me. Uh, but he also reviews a lot of what's going on in the entertainment world. And he talked about it with the Spider-Man trailer. When the Spider-Man trailer leaked online, he did not watch that. I didn't watch it because there's something about things being leaked that feels really, oh, it just feels dirty. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel kosher. So I hope this doesn't get released. And also if, it, if, if, if there is a copy that gets released, it, it impacts the studio. It impacts people's jobs. Like it's just, it's why I try not to, it's why I try to seek out films and pay for them because these are, these are people's livelihoods. This is, this is what they do. And when these movies get viewed for free or leak and people watch it, it impacts people's lives. And, And I'm not just talking about the actor here. I'm talking about everybody involved in the film. Because we always think about the studio, the studio, well, the studio heads are getting richer. Yeah, but what about the what what about the gaffer? What about the sound technician? What about the mixer? What about the what about the costume designer? All of these people as well are invested in this film. And if this stuff gets leaked out or you don't pay to go see it, they get screwed in the process as well. So I hope that this doesn't get leaked. I hope that it's just they didn't realize what it was. They left it and they moved on. But yeah, there was a copy of the Top Gun sequel in Tom Cruise's car when it got stolen. Now, some other movies, news, uh, two South Park movies are going to be coming by the end of the year for Paramount+. Plus. Now, South Park, the creators of South Park, Matt Stone, Trey Parker, they signed an exclusive deal with Paramount+. Plus, And the first of 14 new films based on the show are going to be premiering on Paramount Plus, and we found out that uh, the first two are coming this year, which makes total sense. I mean, if you got a 14-film contract, all this stuff that you're promising for them, you're going to crank out two movies, boom, just like that. Uh, Now, the recent order did come after two hour-long South Park specials released over the course of the pandemic, titled The Pandemic Special and The South Park with a Q vaccination special. I'm super stoked on this. I mean, 25 years at Comedy Central, they have just, the these two have been the voice of me and I want to say my generation, but I know they're the voice of of Gen, Gen X and millennials and all of that, but I, I have been a South Park fan from the very beginning. I'm super stoked for two more movies. And, and here's the other thing too. They're not really producing much of the show anymore. And I have and, and and I don't know anybody that's mad about that, but I, I'm sure there are people out there that are mad about that. And if you are mad, well, I'm probably going to hear from you that you're like, well, I want more TV show. But for me, these guys have created so much content over that 25-year run 
that I'm like, hey, all right. They signed a deal through season 30 to go till 2027. They got the 14 original films. Like, take your time, guys. It doesn't need to be 20 episode seasons anymore. If you want to give me two specials a year as as a season of the show, you want to give me six episodes, 10 episodes, that's fine. But two movies will be coming by the end of the year on Paramount+. Plus, and I, I'm excited to see... Uh, what those movies are, I know that they tease that they'll be introducing, uh, expanding on the world of South Park. Uh, and I think they've always done a good job of that, even in the TV show where they've brought in new characters they've created, kept them around, build them up as characters. So I'm sure that's how the movies are going to operate as well. And and I'm excited to see what comes. But yeah, two South Park movies coming by the end of this year. Now, Aquaman 2 is filming uh, and I got to bring this up because Patrick Wilson, well, first, uh, Jason Momoa shared the new suit that he's going to be wearing in Aquaman 2, and it everybody lost their mind. He's going to be in a black, sleek suit compared to the first film where he had the uh, the gold and the uh, green. But now we have just seen a picture. Director James Wan revealed a very different look for star Patrick Wilson's Ocean Master. Uh He's got kind of a Tom Hanks in uh, Castaway vibe thing going on where he's got the long hair, he's got the super long beard. But I have to give a round of applause to Patrick Wilson, who is absolutely ripped. Like, he is ripped. I remember watching The Conjuring, The Devil Made Us, The Devil Made Me Do It, and thinking... Oh man, Patrick Wilson's starting to look his age. He looks like he's kind of putting on the uh, the age weight. Looks like he's got a little gut. Looks like he's got a little something extra going on with the with with, with his neck. And all right, that's fine. Patrick Wilson ain't, ain't a young. He's not a youngling anymore. But if you get a chance to see the pictures of him shirtless on the beach with James Wan, yeah, any weight he had put on over uh, while filming The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh Uh-uh, all gone, and Patrick Wilson has just turned into a sex symbol for all of the ladies out there. Seriously. Like, I I am ready to give him the, and and Zach from Haunter's Podcast knows this, uh, from his old Zach's movie show, I am ready to name him Patrick Sex Wilson. He's getting the sex name. He gets the sex because he looks so sexy right now. And I'm happy to say that as a man, who absolutely is in love with Patrick Wilson right now and is shirtless. Seriously, like I'm ready to go, like I'm ready to go to the gym and just do like a thousand crunches right now because I want to get the Patrick Wilson look going on. Uh, also, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, once again got an update on the release date. Uh, it's actually now moved up two weeks, so it will hit theaters on October 1st. So thankfully, after Shang-Chi made a little bit of money, uh, the studio went, hey, let's bump Venom up, unlike Paramount that pushed Top Gun and Mission Impossible back and the Jackass movie as well. Jackass Forever was pushed back to February because they were all panicky with the recent Delta variant. They thought people weren't going to the movies, but uh, it turns out people were. So Venom now bumped up uh, and will be coming out on October 1st in theaters. Uh, I believe I do have some other news and notes as well. 
Uh, taking a quick look at this. Uh, oh, yes. The last piece of news I had for the day is that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is out at the Amazon Mr. and Mrs. Smith series. Turns out she was having uh, creative creative difficulties, uh, difference in creative with the uh, star Donald Glover, who she was going to act opposite of. So uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge out at the Mr. and Mrs. Smith series uh, due to creative differences with Donald Glover. All right, and before I go, I do want to make reference to this. Today, uh, September the 8th, 2021, is the 55th anniversary for Star Trek premiering on CBS. Uh, Absolutely an incredible run for Star Trek. I mean, so many spinoffs, so much love for a franchise that now 55 years ago debuted on CBS with Captain Pike before, of course, Captain Kirk, William Shatner taking over uh, the reins. But yeah, uh, 55 years ago, which is crazy because my mom always talks about how she loved watching that show growing up. So it's wild to know that 55 years ago, my mom was just like all of us, losing her mind over a fandom that she didn't realize was going to become a fandom of hers for, for the next 55 years, something that was going to make such an impact, but just absolutely fell in love with that show. I have so many great memories of the original series growing up, uh, something that I watched with my mom on repeats. It, it used to air on, uh, if you're listening from the Long Island, New York area, you'll you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, if not, then sorry. Uh, but there's there's a local station called Channel 55 on Long Island, which is like the public access channel. And they always, always showed Star Trek, the original series. And growing up, my parents didn't believe in televisions in the bedroom. So I was lucky enough that by the time I turned like 13, 14, I convinced them on the TV in the bedroom. Uh, And it was mainly because the second TV used to be in our basement. I actually, growing up, would get bronchitis a lot and had a lot of breathing issues uh, with, with whatever I would get. And it had a lot to do with eventually the doctor was like, well, he's in the basement a lot this is what's causing it because you know second tv was in the basement i spent a lot of time on the watching the second tv downstairs and playing video games down there so i was eventually able to convince them because of that should put it in my bedroom so i don't have to go down there uh but before that ever came about before i ever got an actual tv in my room i remember getting the old old like first color tv my parents got this little box thing that had bunny ears on it and I put it in my bedroom because uh, I, I could connect the Atari to it. Again, starting to age myself and my family. But this this little TV picked up only one channel and it was the local New York 55 cable access. And going to bed every night, I would watch Star Trek the original series. But also... I would watch Star Trek, the original series when it was on with my mom, when it used to be on the old, uh, it used to be on the WB back in the day growing up as well. That and Next Generation reruns used to be on there. So I have so many great memories of the show. My favorite episode of Star Trek, and I'd, I'd love to hear yours. You can tweet me. You can comment on the show as well uh, anywhere you listen, but I would love to hear from you. At wonderful underscore radio is my Twitter handle. What's your favorite 
episode, your favorite memory, your favorite moment of the show, but my favorite Star Trek episode of all time, season one, Arena. And growing up, it was because I absolutely loved dinosaurs, and there was something about that episode where the Gordon reminded me of 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 a dinosaur. It was it reminded me of a dinosaur, so I just loved that episode for the dinosaur aspect of it. But then, of course, it's just a wonderful episode as well with the idea of no, I will not kill him. There is hope for you, Captain Kirk, and your species in the future and the humankind to not kill when given the opportunity to kill. Like, so much going on in that episode that, you know, as a kid watching it, I was just like, oh, he fights the dinosaur. Then I got a little older and I was like, wow, there's there's a lot going on in this episode, which is the case with every Star Trek episode. There's always a lot going on underneath the surface. There's always some type of commentary in the Star Trek shows. So, yeah, that's... That was one of my favorite episodes growing up, Arena. Uh, I also really like Trouble with Trebles, but that's because, you know, the Trebles episode was one of my mom's favorites, so I got to experience that one with her a lot. Uh, a Mock Time, the you know, if you don't know that one by its name, you know that one because they did it in The Cable Guy. That's the, the one where Kirk and Spock fight. Uh, I won't tell you how that ends, but it, it, it ends with a bit of a twist. Uh, yeah, just so many wonderful episodes of that show. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the other one that I really, really like. Oh, man, I, I know I like For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. That's a good one. We actually watched that one in my, oh, what was that class that I took? I, I took a science, one of my science classes in high school. I think it was an astronomy class. Probably was an astronomy class if, we, if he was showing us Star Trek. Uh, but we got to watch that one and I just remember being like, yeah, I know this one. I know what happens. I, I know it. I, I know it. And being called a geek and a loser by the 19 other kids in my class. And then the other, the, the one other person, the one other girl is like, yeah. But down low, like after the class was like, I like Star Trek too. So, oh man, I really wish I could remember that class. And I wish I could remember the other one I like. Oh my goodness. It's, it's really pissing me off right now that I can't remember it. Um, it's going to come to me like after the show too. And it's going to be so frustrating. I could probably look it up, but, uh, it's, oh my goodness. It is really frustrating me right now that I can't remember the name of it, but it's a, it's a season two episode. Uh, and it deals with a gaseous cloud. It's one of the one times where Kirk is, is on a mission of revenge because he experienced this, this gaseous cloud that, that sucks all the energy out of it, the life force out of you. And he experienced it when he wasn't, when he, before he was captain on one of his early missions. Uh, and now he's experiencing it with his men as the captain of the Enterprise. And I can't remember the freaking name of it. And it's driving me nuts because I'm usually really good with Star Trek, at least the original series stuff. But yeah, um, I have another great memory of the original series as well. When I was in college, one of my old roommates had never seen Star Trek. So I actually borrowed my mom's. DVDs of season one, two, and three, and we just went through them, like flew through them with skipping classes, staying up late, just watching Star Trek. And I turned to like, he went from being like that, man, Star Trek's stupid. I only watch Star Wars too. Oh man, both of these fandoms are really cool. Like Star Wars is cool for the action, but Star Trek is cool for the, for the thought provokingness of it. Uh, so yeah, Star Trek, 
55 years ago, September 8th, debuting on CBS. Uh, I got to say, it's it's been a hell of a ride for that franchise. Uh, I love the original series. I love, uh, I like Next Generation. Uh, I, I feel bad. I, I, have, I have Paramount Plus, CBS All Access, whatever. Still haven't watched Lower Decks. Still haven't checked out the Picard show, and I still haven't watched uh, uh, the other uh, the uh, Discovery as well. So it's funny as I sit here and I'm like 55 years. I'm like, well, there's like three shows as well right now that are on CBS All Access, or I'm sorry, that are on Paramount Plus that I still haven't watched. But I just I blame that on the void of all the content being created with all these streaming services that I forget I even have Paramount Plus. Until football season rolls around and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I can watch the CBS game of the week because I pay for this thing, which is CBS. But yeah, happy, happy birthday, Star Trek. Uh, And I do want to hear from you. What's your favorite episode? It doesn't have to be the original series. Who's your favorite captain? Doesn't have to be Captain Kirk. Who's your favorite side character? And by side character, I don't even mean like a random side character. Like it could be number two. It could be Sulu. It could be anybody. I don't, it's not, it's, it, when I say side character, I just mean, who's your favorite outside of the captains? That's really all I'm talking about. That's really all I'm asking. But yeah, you can tweet me uh, anytime you're listening to this as well. Please tweet me. Tell me what you think at wonderful underscore radio. So that'll do it for the Mr. Wonderful show this week. Uh, Again, please share the episode with your friends, with your family, uh, whoever you want to share it with, uh, but get the word out there. Let them know that this show is uh, rocking and uh, rolling. Uh, We'll be back next week with an all new episode and then two weeks from this episode. uh, Very excited. Going to do something very different because I will actually be at Halloween Horror Nights on my vacation uh, and I'll be out at the park the day that I would normally record this show. Uh, and since I can't cover a week of entertainment news in the process of that, uh, being at the event, I have something really cool lined up for two weeks from now for you all. Uh, and, and I can't wait to debut that episode uh, because that will eventually lead into a little bit more. There's a lot of things happening with this show. So for all of you that have been a part of it from the beginning, which is only like four weeks now, but I've been here since the, since a month ago. Thank you. For those of you who just found us, thank you for finding the show. Thank you for subscribing wherever you listen, on Podbean, on iTunes, or, or I should say on Apple Podcast, on iHeart, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Uh, thank you for subscribing. And again, share the show. And we'll be back next week. So take care. Bye now. Bye.